Hi everyone, I'm Lottie Bowser and you're listening to Lemonade, the podcast that amplifies extraordinary stories of adversity, courage and resilience so that you too can be reminded of your power. Every fortnight, a guest reveals the defining moments that have shaped their lives and the insights and tools they have learned that have helped them to thrive in the wake of their challenges. Season one is packed with incredible people, from activists to comedians, athletes and authors. Don't forget to hit the follow button to be the first to know about every new episode and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Imogen, Sally, good morning, my loves, or good evening, actually. You're in Australia, aren't you? So that's, I think, 11 hours ahead of me. Yes, 11 hours at the moment. It's um, all, well, it's glass of wine o'clock here. Um, but we're so good. We're so excited to be talking to you today. I want to jump through the, the screen and give you a big hug and a kiss. Oh, I can't believe we've not done that in person yet. It feels so weird, doesn't it? I know. It? <laughs> I feel like we have, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Probably in another life or... Absolutely. Because we're all part of the same soul group, no doubt. Which we'll probably totally. <laughs> oh, my God. I actually listened to your episode with Laura Lynn Jackson the other day. Holy tits. Did you? Did you? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. So you'll get the whole soul group reference then. Good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we'll get into that a bit later. It's something I'm really keen to talk to you guys about. But you guys have had a crazy year. I guess one of the biggest things to talk about, firstly, is your book. How's it all been? It's been, yeah, really bittersweet, actually, because obviously the reason that we met and the reason that we do Good Morning is because of our mums. So they're the reason for the book. But then it's, yeah, it's it's really exciting. But then there's been definitely big griefy moments as well. Mm, I can totally imagine. I think everything good that comes along in the wake of a loved one's death is always tinged with that underlying sadness, isn't it? The book has quite literally come about as a result of your mum's deaths um, and everything that you've gone on to do since. So, yeah, I can imagine it's a really bizarre and unparalleled feeling, right? So bizarre and so bittersweet. But like you said, yeah, the book wouldn't have come about if it wasn't for our mums and if it wasn't what we'd gone through, which kind of helps keeps us going a little bit. But, yeah, everything is just tinged with a bit of sadness and that's just grief as a whole, I think. Mm, Absolutely. Well, look, we'll get into that a bit later, but I thought that, Maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about your gorgeous mums, Rose and Vanessa. Sal, maybe we could start with you. Sure. Um, So my mum, Rose, lived in the UK, where I'm from, as you could probably tell with the accent. Um, She was such a... She was such a kind, warm lady, drove like an absolute boy racer, though, which you never would have guessed. Um, But (laughs) she was just such a sweet and wonderful human and I didn't get to see her as much as I would have liked because we live so far away um but she passed away suddenly in November 2019 and it was just so it was totally unexpected she had a sudden seizure in her sleep and um I woke up one morning to a phone call at 6am to say that she died and as an expat you know it's 
when you move to the other side of the world, it's one of your like payoffs. Like what's the, what's the payoff of living so far away? And it's not being close by if something was to happen. It's kind of a bit of a nightmare and it was a nightmare for me. And so I found myself on the next flight home, not only trying to come to terms with her, her death, but also that 24 hour flight and, you know, not knowing what I was about to kind of walk into. And that was basically, you know, organizing her funeral, trying to cope with her death. And on the other side of the world, it was, yeah, it was a huge shock, but she was just such a, just a lovely, sweet, warm lady. And I just, yeah, miss her so much. Mm, Of course you do, Sal. I can totally picture that her I, I can imagine that she was all of those things because you are all of those things as well now both of your circumstances are wild because imagine you had just become a new mum and Sal obviously you were living on the other side of the world and you had a month I think didn't you to turn around a funeral to organize all of the death admin everything to do with your mum's estate they're kind of actually been any time to get to grips mentally or emotionally with what the fuck just happened? No, not at all. It was like I was running on pure adrenaline. I didn't have a choice really, but to get it all done because it was just on me. It was me and my mum. Then I've got a brother who's autistic. So um, I, yeah, had to get everything sorted. And she, because she died a month before Christmas, Everywhere was closing for Christmas. So I had like a dead, a hard deadline um, to, you know, to kind of turn everything around. And I think it was just, I look back on it now and I just think I don't actually know how I, I got all of that done. But I think that often happens, doesn't it, when we're faced with a big traumatic loss is that we are just in pure shock and that carries us through for a while. It certainly for me, it carried me few, through for a few months before I got back to Australia and it it kind of really sunk in and hit home. And having spoken to a lot of people who've experienced something similar, I think, and it, I think it might be is maybe the same for you, Lottie. Like it does, you just kind of, it's just such a, a what the fuck situation at first. It's really hard mm. to wrap your head around. And then that that sometimes for me anyway, it meant that I could just almost operate on autopilot mode and get stuff done it was like or felt like almost like a protective mechanism a survival mechanism really um and that kind of helped with having to get everything sorted like the funeral and and clear a house out and all of those things but yeah it was a time (laughs) yeah I mean to say the least and the fucked up thing as well is that you don't really have much of a choice do you I think one of the coolest things about the death of a loved one is that it always falls on the shoulders of the people closest to the person that's died to organize all of this, this stuff. And those further removed don't really have an insight into the impossible weight that their closest loved ones carry in terms of all the admin and their physical footprint, right? Totally. And it's constantly like a stressful reminder every time you have to make that phone call you know, all it's like closing off someone's life, especially when they die suddenly, you know, like their life is like literally hanging in the balance. So you've got to almost be a bit like a detective and piece it all together. And for me, I, so I flew back to Australia just before Christmas. And then I had to go through selling my mum's house from the other side of the world in the middle of a pandemic, because then 
it was like lockdown hit and I had to rely on like I remember literally I'd have my mum's next door neighbor saying the burglar alarm's gone off uh, over whatsapp and I'm like well I don't know what you want me to do about it mate because I live in Australia and so I'd have to rely on like my, like my best friend Neil had to go around at like midnight to to check when the alarm was going off and he was like um I didn't have anything in my car except a cake tin so he's like stalking around mum's house with a cake tin like and the burglar alarm's going off and it's just like comedic but also like it was a nightmare you know um and it's stressful because when you're dealing with the estate and all of these things and it is on your shoulders and it is, you know, it's, it's really stressful. It's also a constant reminder of the situation. Um, and I think people don't talk about that a lot. And when, when we've covered that topic of like, we call it dead men, but you know, the estate admin after a death, we get so many responses from our community because it is such a heavy load to carry. Um, and it is like a, it is a, a constant reminder. And I think, like you say, people on the edges, on the periphery, don't necessarily realise just what a heavy load it is. It's huge. And as you said, it's essentially like, you know, shutting down somebody's life. It's such a lot to carry and to have done in such a short amount of time. I, I can't even get my head around that cell. I had some time to come to terms with slowly letting go of my late partner Ben's things and my dad's things. There wasn't a time restraint on it, you know? Oh, babe, hats off to you. You're a superwoman, seriously. Don't you ever look back and think, how did I actually do that? Honestly, it's like, it's so interesting though, isn't it? How, because like you say, you, you had like time to let go of things and Im hasn't been through like any of her mum's things yet and for me I literally had to like just I just had to be ruthless I was, and I look back now and it's kind of hilarious because like I, I was literally just like probably looked like some mad woman I was just like hauling all of her stuff into my mum's little hatchback driving to the tip in like rainy Coventry literally I think I did like 20 like trips and I'm just throwing stuff in the car and like just kind of like just got to get it got to get it cleared and I had like a week to get it done can I just say, though, you thrive on a deadline, Sal. So. Oh, yeah, I do thrive on a deadline. That is very true. So I was probably, like, secretly loving it. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that you adopted all of the learnings and the experience you'd had from years of working in PR, and you kind of went into it like a bit of, like a, bit of a project. Work mode. Yes. Project management mode, it was my time to shine. I was like, I'm going to PR my mum's death very well. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but now I'm like, I've got like only a few things of hers and I'm like, oh, I wish I had more things. I wish I had the luxury of like going through the things and, you know, like, but I also only had a suitcase that, you know, had a, like a weight limit of what I could bring back. So I think there are pros and cons, right? Mm, definitely. Um, you still have your mum's Vanessa stuff, right? Oh, it's so interesting. Like Sal and I, we, we obviously experienced the same type of loss, like our mums died suddenly, but our experiences are wildly different. Um, I could not do anything practical. Um, my grief was so visceral. I couldn't even face any of the, yeah, any of the practical things. My sister had to do it all. She was like, can you please just pick one song for the funeral? I'm like, nope, nah, can't, can't do it. Because to me, that was accepting that she was dead. I'm like, why would I be picking a song for a funeral? I don't even want to go to a funeral. Like this isn't happening. So I was in a, a huge amount of denial. 
Um, so yeah, doing practical things was just not an option because then that made it a little bit real. And I was not in any way, shape or form prepared for this to be a real thing. That was my experience in the early months. Like I would just be curled up on the floor howling for my mum. Um, like you said, Lottie, my daughter was nine months old at the time. So yeah, just, it was just a shit show really. Like I just, I struggled to do anything. I was a zombie. I would stare at the wall. My partner would like try to have conversations with me and I was just not, I was not in the room. Um, so yeah, my grief looked very different and it was a lot of like ruminating. So my mum, her name's Vanessa. She died by suicide. Um, it was completely out of the blue, out of the blue and unexpected. Um, she'd never experienced any previous mental health issues. So it was an absolute shock. She is probably the last person on this earth and I could ever imagine doing what she did. And I still can't even understand how that's happened. Um, so that's something that's taken a long, long time to try and come to terms with, but she was one of the most beautiful people I've ever known. She was so like, I was thinking about it today, actually. I don't know if you guys do this, but just sometimes reflecting on them. And I was thinking about like who she was and a great way to describe her was she loved so hard. Like it doesn't matter who it was or what it was when she loved, she loved hard. And like, that was one of the things that I loved about her. And she just had room in her heart for everybody. It doesn't matter who you were, where you came from, there was always a seat at the table for you. Um, so she was very, very special and like a huge loss to a lot of people. And, um, yeah, I just remember when she died, I just remember feeling like everything just went dark, like the world just went dark. And, and for a long, long time, I didn't think that I'd be able to find any light again. Um, I thought that was it for me. I thought like game over, like what, what's the point of anything, you know, mm. and, um, it took a long, long time to find some, yeah, some purpose in my life. And I think I found that through Good Morning, which we'll probably get into, but it was very much minute by minute, second by second for me in the early days and just holding on to a little bit of hope that things were going to get a little bit more bearable and eventually they did. So I'm still here today. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, um, it's such a testament to your character. It's it's so wild hearing you talk about it. And I, I think with this particular type of loss, there's an added layer of complexity, isn't there? You talked about undertaking essentially a, a psychological autopsy. That was the term you used to try to piece together the circumstances surrounding Vanessa's passing. And it must have literally been that, like you're trying to make sense of something so in inconceivable. And I think your point in that death by suicide doesn't discriminate, that it's not something that's always linked to mental health. It can be purely circumstantial is so important because there's a lot of stigma attached to it, isn't there? Absolutely. And that's something I learned quickly. There is a huge amount of stigma attached to it. And then I also didn't think that anyone that I knew would die by suicide. It just wasn't in the realm of possibility, but it is, it's very real. I think, like you mentioned, I did, I did go through a bit of a psychological autopsy because although I knew the cause of death, like I knew how she died, I didn't know why she died. So it was a very funny thing. So I needed to know the why. And I think what's really common with 
people who have experienced suicide loss is you blame yourself. So that was the obvious reason for me was it must have been something I said. It must have been something I did or didn't do. And so I, for a long time, just sat in guilt that it was my fault. And that was a really awful, dark place to be because I'm, A, dealing with the death of my mum suddenly with a nine-month-old baby, but I'm also blaming myself for it. So I just, I hated myself. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be here anymore. I was like, there's just, I don't see how this is going to get any easier. And the more research that I did and the more I understood suicide and what happens to the brain, the more I kind of gave myself a bit of relief, I think is the best way to describe it. Like what I learned was when someone's in that place where they decide to take their life, they're not actually thinking clearly. They're not functioning. Like they're under huge amounts of stress that they go into what they call like a bit of a a suicidal trance. Like you're not thinking, you're not functioning. It's almost like your brain just shuts down. So, and I learned like they don't actually want to die. They don't want to, to, to die. They just don't see a way out of the pain that they're in. They're just in too much pain. Everyone will experience a huge, deep level of pain sometime in their life. So I think it's something that is very real and it needs to be discussed because, yeah, like you said, there is still a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, but with the, with the guilt stuff, something else that's really helped me is understanding what my brain was doing was trying to make sense of something completely senseless. You know, suicide goes against a basic human instinct of survival. You know, how could how could somebody do that? So my brain was, I think when people experience guilt, it is giving you a little bit of control back so that while the horrific things don't just happen, although that we all know that they do, you know. So me blaming myself for my mum's death was going, okay, well, I can control bad things from happening again because this was my fault. And if I hadn't done this, then this wouldn't have happened. But unfortunately I had no control over it. And it's taken a long time to come to terms with that. But I, yeah, I've worked through a lot of the guilt. It's far too much to carry, babe. And I really relate to that, obviously for a completely different reason. My late partner, Ben's death, um, he he had stage four cancer and he caught COVID at a treatment center in Mexico where we were exploring alternative treatment as a last ditched attempt to save his life. And during the program, he wound up getting COVID and that was really the beginning of the end. And you can't help but rehash all of the days and the weeks and the months leading up to their death, like what we could have done differently, what you know, treatments did we not try? What emails did we miss? If only we'd spoken to that oncologist. It's so heavy to carry that weight of responsibility, you know, feeling essentially responsible for their death. Yeah. Like you miss something or it's your fault. Like it's just a real head fuck, like going through that period. But I do think it's, it's a necessary process that we need to go through you know, and it's all the could-haves and would-haves. Like I remember a lady, her son had died by suicide and she told me, she's like, your brain's going to go through that for a, a long time. You just have to go go through the motions until you're exhausted by every avenue and you're content with that exhaustion. Like you've been down every possible path that you could have and there's no more roads to go down. You couldn't have done anything. And so yeah, that's kind of what happened. 
Mm, absolutely. You couldn't have changed the outcome, you know. Now, Im, you've also spoken about the importance of using the correct language around suicide loss. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that because it's something before being catapulted into this space of loss and grief, I think I was quite ignorant about as well. You don't really think about the implications of using the verb commit, for instance. No, I mean, I used to. I used to, and like people, you know, that in my family still use it sometimes. Like I think we've just all been raised with that's what you say, but it's so old school. And actually, if you think about where that term even like comes from, I think, yeah, it's really important to just use like softer language. You know, I think people also look at suicide like a selfish act, um, which is really offensive when you've lost someone by suicide. I actually look at suicide as anything but selfish. Yeah, not at all. Uh, I think a lot of the time, like they don't want to burden people with their situation and they think that it's going to be easier for others if they're not here anymore, which is absolutely not the case. But I think it's the the polar opposite of selfish as well. Mm, I agree. You mentioned in one of your podcasts that the reception to your loss was different because of the circumstances surrounding it. And that's just so shit right? It's deserving of just as much mm. compassion as any other type of loss. Absolutely. People can get awkward. It gets awkward and like you get all sorts of like prying questions. And like, I remember someone at the, at the wake asking me, oh, so did she leave a note? I'm like, does it fucking matter? Like, does that really matter right now? Like what is, what is that information like going to help? Is that going to help you in any way, shape or form? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. are we really going to get stuck into this now? Yeah. And it wasn't someone that was close with my mom. It was someone on another side, like a distant kind of relative that would have had no emotional impact by my mom's death. So it was like, it was just one of those questions that you just don't fucking ask. So insensitive. So insensitive. Like she did, she didn't leave a note, which was really hard because she was also a letter writer. You know, my mum was like someone who always like would handwrite letters to everybody. So I was like, well, that's not fucking right. <laughs> you know, I thought she'd at least leave me a note, but it just goes to show I don't think she was in the right state of mind and she I don't think she planned on doing what she did. Like, you know, it was a split second where it all just got too much and, yeah, so unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. Thank you so much, ladies. I know it's not easy to rehash all of this stuff. I really appreciate you speaking so candidly about it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but is is your episode with Dr. Lisa Shulman on how to heal your grief brain, is that your most downloaded episode to date? I think that and our episode with Laura Lynn Jackson, there are two most... Yeah, it was Lisa, but then we released Laura's. So Laura's kind of like edging up there now. So yeah, they're the two top, top ladies. (laughs) Okay. Well, I I highly recommend anyone listening to go check those two episodes out. We'll get into Laura's one shortly, but I was wondering if you guys could tell us what Grief Brain is and what your experience of the mental and emotional repercussions of your losses was like. So grief brain is is something that I think a lot of people experience, but they don't connect it with being a byproduct of grief, wouldn't you say, Im? Like for us both, and I know it's the same for you, Lottie, just like in a big fog, 
Like it was like brain fog on steroids, just felt completely out of it, confused, uh, like, like just memory function was short, like just didn't, just felt totally, I don't know, like I just, like the chemical makeup of our brains are completely changed. And it wasn't really until we started doing the pod that we realized that grief brain is actually a thing. And Im, you explain what grief brain is so brilliantly. No, I don't. Oh my god, it's so scientific. And when I'm, whenever I'm explaining, I'm like, oh my god, do not try and fucking talk science because that's just not me. But I'll try. Interviewing Dr. Lisa Shulman, she's a world-renowned um, neurologist, which was amazing. And I was so nervous interviewing her. I'm like, I didn't even finish school, but I'll just, <laughs> I'll just wing this interview. <laughs> um, so she explained to us that, like, when you go through a big loss, it's emotional injury to your brain like trauma is an emotional injury so it actually impacts the neural pathways in your brain it changes the neuroplasticity in your brain and it rewires it which we were like what the hell like it makes so much sense now why we are feeling the way that we're feeling. And when all those changes are happening, it's changing all the cognitive domains. So things like memory function. Um, my three-year-old daughter is just snuck in the room. Hi, Layla. Basically what happens is um, when your brain is like the stress response, you're stressed and you're in that fight or flight mode. Um, it's basically you're firing, like your brain is firing on it's stress cylinders. And if you are constantly getting triggered by things like memories of your person or things like, you know, having to deal with the estate or just, you know, thinking about them and the waves of grief, if that's happening constantly, then your neural pathways um, are getting strengthened in that stress response. And so if you're feeling um, like you're foggy and forgetful and all of the things that are almost like a survival mechanism right because we've just got to get through this period so things like um yeah like your memory are like impacted because you're just in survival mode but if that's happening constantly then that's when grief brain and the brain fog can feel really prevalent and what she actually says can really help um is journaling because it's a way to bring yourself into the present, which is really important, but also you're processing those memories, you're processing the trauma. Um, so that's one of the best ways if you are experiencing brain fog, grief brain, that can really help bring yourself out of it. And it is something that can subside over time. But I think a lot of people, it can be it can be months and it can be quite um unnerving because if you don't realize what's happening like you're like what the, what the fuck is going on you feel like so, you're going crazy literally. yeah yeah mm, completely like actually losing your mind yeah that's that's exactly how it feels it's so validating though don't you think when you do find out that it's a normal process of trying to make sense of what's happened to you mm-hmm Grief is not just a state of sadness. It comes with its own laundry list of not just mental symptoms, but physical symptoms as well. Im, what was your experience of that? Oh, I love this topic. I love this topic. Um, so many physical symptoms, like that's another thing that like people don't understand how physical grief is. 
you know, they think it's just like a single emotion and we get sad and then we get over it, which is not the case at all. But understanding the mind-body connection has been a complete game changer for me, in particular in my grief, like because my grief was so physical, I was just absolutely wiped out with exhaustion. Um, The grief brain was on fire. I couldn't think straight. I literally just like wanted to lie in bed and sleep for a year. Like it was a next level type of exhaustion that, you know, sleeping doesn't actually help at all. You know, you wake up just in the same sort of cycle and understanding that grief impacts us physically and changes the cells, like lives in the cells in our bodies. Like when you go through trauma, it actually lives in your body was such an amazing revelation for me. And I think you can probably relate to that too, Lottie. It was like, whoa, okay, it all makes sense. And I think learning that and understanding ways that you can release the trauma from your body and move the trauma through your body is so healing. And that was one of the things that actually started to make me feel better was understanding the mind-body connection. And then I did a five-week breathwork course with Rebecca Jacks, and that's the kind of just the tip of the iceberg. And then I've gone deeper now. Sal and I did a kundalini energy session last night. Like I am deep in the energy body, mind-body work, and it has helped me so much. I feel like you want to say something, go. Uh, I I was just going to say that it's so juicy. I love it so much, but that's it. It's like when you suddenly connect the dots and you, you understand what's happening to you on a physiological level, it's like, ah, okay. It starts to make sense. And then from there, you can begin to take steps to alleviate some of your symptoms. I'm actually due to interview Rebecca for the podcast. Oh, she's amazing. It's insane what happens. Could you tell us a bit about your own experience of that type of breath work? Yeah. So I actually saw Rebecca in person in Bali. I had a private Kundalini transmission awakening. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, session with her. And it was unbelievable. It really felt like like an exorcism, like getting the fucking all this shit out of my body. And I... I'm quite in tune with my body. So I was, I was really open to whatever was going to happen. I've seen the videos too. And I'm sure anyone listening, go and check them out. Cause they're absolutely wild. But my, my body just started moving. Like my hand was doing mudras, like just swirling around and like you, you do sort of contractions as well. And I was screaming. I wouldn't do this. And Sal and I did a group session last night, but I kind of like was a bit reserved, but in this one-on-one session with Rebecca, like I was screaming, I was hysterically laughing. I was like, just, I was on another planet. It was unbelievable. Um, But what I will say is doing this work, this intense trauma work, has cleared traumas that I was carrying prior to my mom's death. Mm-hmm. Like I was already living in fight or flight before my mom died because I got diagnosed with um, generalized anxiety disorder when I was 17. I had a complicated upbringing, which is something Sal and I relate to each other on. Um, we went through a lot and we both sort of were living in this fight or flight state. And so doing this work has cleared out all the shit that we didn't even identify as traumas, which has been something that's been really interesting for us. And now I'm not living in fight or flight anymore. But I think if my mom hadn't have died and I hadn't gone through such severe trauma, I would have never 
found out about this type of work and would have probably just lived in that state for the rest of my life. Mm. So that's one gift that has come through all of this shit. It's so interesting because I do feel like grief can then unpack lots of other things that Mm. are happening under the surface. Like, just like him, for me, I've done a lot of the, you know, somatic work as well. And Kundalini for me, I've done it a couple of times and it's been a little bit different. It's been much, it's been more grounding for me. But yesterday I had like this feeling of like this, this energetic cord and I could feel this sensation. And then after the session, um, I told the instructor what I found. She said, oh yeah, well, I was, I was doing cord cutting on you. I was doing like, but I couldn't feel her over me, but I could feel this cord of energy. So, um, but for, for me, I haven't had as many of like the bodily movements, the kind of exorcism <laughs> much more. And we were joking, weren't we yesterday, Im? And, and I was like, are you going to be fucking doing the worm over me or something like, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's because we grieve so differently. Like Sal and I, we've got very different grieving styles. But and also Sal's very British and polite. I feel like you're not going to be like flailing around the room like Sal. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you had a one-on-one, um, Sal? No, I'm going to have a one-on-one with Rebecca soon. Actually, um, so I'm really, really excited for that. And I'm excited for you that you're going to be speaking to her and for your listeners. Um, but doing this work and getting to know like how your body responds to grief, like Im, I'm now learning so much about myself by identifying all of the other traumas that, that I've experienced. And I think we don't often, something that Im and I have learned through doing Good Morning and talking to the people that we talk to is a lot of the things that we dismiss are traumatic. And we don't realize that we've been impacted by smaller, smaller traumas. And they all kind of, you know, they all have a role to play and they all live within us. And um, I think that's been a really big part of our healing journey as well. You've also done quite a lot of meditation since your mum Rose died as well. And you said that that's been a way to connect with her. Yeah, meditation, journaling. So I love writing um, and that's been a really big part of my processing writing trying to trying to connect with her I find that um when I do deeper meditation sessions that's when my grief really comes to the surface and that's when I really sort of tap in and connect with my mum so trying to harness that and get better like because it is a practice right um, and trying to lean into that more has been really helpful. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious to know if you guys experienced any resistance around connecting more deeply to your own bodies in the immediate aftermath of your mum's deaths. Because for me, even doing exercise was off the table for a long time. I didn't want to be reminded that I had a body that I could breathe and Ben didn't and couldn't. Um it really took some time to connect to those practices again and actually be in my body. I I can relate to that. I think it was really only a year or so after my mum died that I really started to understand the mind-body connection. And through doing the work through Good Morning, 
I definitely did other things as coping mechanisms to try and forget about what was happening. So keeping busy, for example, and not really leaning into, letting myself lean into how I was feeling played a role. And I think this is where in, we kind of talked about our different grieving styles. Im's much more visceral and, fe- and felt things really deeply. Um, but for me, like you, I would say there was a sense of like wanting to distract myself from the reality. We interviewed someone and they described it perfectly. Her sister died by suicide as well. And she explained that she wanted to run away from her body. And I was like, yes, like she didn't want to be in her body. And I was like, that's exactly it. Like it just felt wrong. Like it felt wrong to be alive, to be breathing, to be just, you know, moving or nourishing ourselves. Like I, I, I can really relate to you on that, Lottie. And it took, it took some time to kind of feel safe again, I think, in, in my body. Mm. And like you say, like there's, there's an unfairness, like they're not here, they're not breathing in their body like that. I, I feel you when you said that, like it feels, it can feel, you feel like it's wrong, like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that that way. And that can be a really hard thing to try and wrap your head around, right? And then, I mean, the whole question of like life and death and what what the fuck <laughs> happens. It's just, it's, it's mind bending. existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get stuck into that now because I find this stuff so incredible. And you said that your episode with Laura Lynn Jackson, who, for anyone that's listening who doesn't know her, is a world renowned psychic medium. That's been your most downloaded episode to date since the Dr. Lisa Shulman episode. Yes. Yeah, it has. Okay. So I listened to that episode the other day and you both said that reading her two books changed your lives. I want to know what your spiritual beliefs were before your losses. Did you guys have any notion of life after death or? I had always been intrigued by the afterlife and I'd been to see lots of psychic mediums over the years but it was more coming from a place of being curious about myself and my future before mum died not connecting with the other side Mm. but I'd always had a belief that there was something other but i don't think I really gave it much thought other than that until mum passed away. What about you, Em? Probably the same. I think I was never like fully sceptic. I always thought there was something bigger, something more. I was never really religious or anything, but I think I just, yeah, I thought that there was something more. But like Sal, I didn't really give a fuck, like until I needed to (laughs) give a fuck what that more was. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm. yeah, it's not something that I'd really delved into until I really, really needed to. And yeah, we found Laurel in Jackson, which is just, oh, it was amazing. I remember my friend sent me an interview with Laurel Jackson. I hadn't heard of her before. And it was with Chelsea. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, babe. That's all right. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's probably the spirits spirits Mm. coming out. 
<laughs> oh my God. It's seriously, like I, I spoke to my medium not long after my dad died. Um, she's actually Australian. I should connect you guys. She's called Rebecca. Oh, and we she know. started oh coughing and she her. was like, oh, you're... I booked him. I've been waiting for like a year. Oh my God. Yeah, she lives in Manly. No way. She's in Manly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she, oh my God, we'll have to have a debrief. She, she's a powerful presence. Um, What blows my mind is that she can basically see into the future. She's told me things that I've had, I think, four sessions with her now. She's literally told me things that down to the very last detail have happened exactly as she said they would. Riddle me that. Like, actually riddle me that. Oh my God. And the thing is, I'm someone that straddles both worlds, right? One foot in this world, one foot in that world. I've always been very open, but I'm also acutely aware of bullshit. So I made sure that I booked our first session under a different name. I think I used someone else's email address so she couldn't do any digging beforehand. I wanted to eliminate the possibility of her finding stuff out before our conversation. And I shit you not, for two and a half hours in our first call, Ben spoke to me through her and relayed so many details, so many things that only him and I knew about that even if she had Googled me, she wouldn't have been able to find out. How do you explain this? I feel like such a strong sense of duty to share this with people because for me, it's been so profoundly healing. Mm -hmm. I was so desperate after he died. Like, needing to know what his experience of his death was and whether or not he was okay. So to have that validated back to me, to have that reassurance was just so incredible. I think that's it. Like we just, we want to know that they're okay. Like we want to know that they're safe, that they're okay. And getting that reassurance was so comforting. Um, I remember speaking to David, the medium and far out, like he walked me through the whole morning of my mum's death, where she was, what she was thinking, what was happening. Just the information that he gave me was unbelievable. He wouldn't have known any of this information. I'd not even spoken about it on our podcast. Like it was impossible for him to know how she died and getting told these sorts of things that I had no idea about was healing. Like I was like, I, all those unanswered questions I had, I felt like were answered. Like it was probably the same with you, Lottie. It's like all these, all these questions that you had and somehow like they can communicate through these mediums and it's like we're talking directly with them. Like he was using nicknames that my mum would call me. He was talking using words in a descriptions of the way that she would talk. It was almost like she was talking through him. Like it was unbelievable. And I think what makes it really special is you feel for me anyway, I feel like it's the relationship with them lives on, you know, and death isn't the end. I saw David, the medium as well. And some of the names that he was using and just the way that he was speaking, like through me, like to me, in the sort of way that my mum would say things, you just feel like you're still having a conversation with them. And I think back to the point of Laura Lynn Jackson, that is why her work was so has been so powerful for us and for you, Lottie, I know, and for so many of our listeners and our community members, because what she talks about, especially in her most popular book, which is Signs, is how you can create 
create that language with the person who's died through asking for signs. And I think when we, so I got into asking for signs through Gabby Bernstein. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with her work. Yeah. Um, and so actually the first time I asked for a sign, I was basically in was there and I was about to leave my job um, to freelance so I could focus on good morning uh, more so I could work part time. And I remember like listening to a podcast with Gabby Bernstein about asking for signs. And I basically was sitting at the pool at the beach and I was like, right, mum, if this is the right thing for me to do, if I'm on the right path, send me a sloth. And then a couple of hours later, went for dinner with him and like about half an hour into our dinner, um, Im's daughter was like what, watching something on the iPad and it was like, oh, Layla, there's like your purple sloth. It was some advert for like a purple sloth. Floss, and flossing, I was like, oh my God. Floss, purple flossing sloth. It's such a hard <laughs> one to say. And um, and then from there, we both found out about Laurel and Jackson's work through that podcast that Im's friend shared and, and then discovered her books. And it was just so validating, but also just so fascinating, the different ways that they can communicate with you, how you can co-create a language of signs, you know, the different things that you can do. And then we just started asking, didn't we, Im? And feel like they came through thick and fast. I think the thought of our loved ones just ceasing to exist, like contemplating that, that Ben had just disappeared, that all of his curly hair, his vibrancy, his loveliness had disappeared into, into nothingness forevermore was just so crushing. I'd go as far as to say my survival depended on finding the reassurance that he did live on in some way, and they absolutely do. It's so beautiful to be able to continue our relationships. Before the concept of continuing bonds came about, I think it was actually encouraged to sever ties with the person that died, to move on, but you know, you don't have to do that. It's entirely up to you how you choose to reframe your relationship with your person. That's it. And death isn't the end. It's something we talk about a lot in our book, don't we, Im? It's um, you don't have to move on. You don't have to get over your person or forget your relationship. In fact, there's there's so much power in continuing that bond. And I think that's where the work of, you know, Laura Lynn Jackson asking for signs, like having that connection through seeing psychic mediums. It, it's so powerful. Yeah, it's incredible. It's been very healing for me. As we know, grief is an ongoing process of integration, right? As time passes, there are all these new layers that you peel back. But I really encourage everybody to at least entertain the possibility that their loved ones are still here in some way rather than closing themselves off to it because I mean the latter option for me is just fucking bleak yeah it was frightening we we went down like a bit of a rabbit hole with the whole spirituality thing and we ended up like getting people who had experienced near-death experiences onto the podcast and exploring all of that, which was just mind-bending and also has just brought us so much comfort. Um, hearing people's experiences of like what it's like in that in-between where they die and then they come back to life, like how comforting that is that it actually feels like home and then coming back to their body feels foreign. They're like, what is this 
this matter, this body, like I'm so much bigger than this. It's there's so much more than this. And I want to go back to that place where I felt this huge amounts of love and warmth. And that was like, yes, it's just not only comforting that we know that our loved ones are there and, and they're, you know, they're in that, that beautiful place where it feels like home, but it also makes you not as frightened of death too. I think I used to be really frightened of death and dying and now I'm like, bring it on, mate. Sounds lovely. <laughs> Same. I mean, we can yeah. wait, preferably another 50 years would be cool. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Not ready know. to go yet. Got too much to do, but like not afraid of like what happens after. Because that, it could be, it could be really hard to comprehend like that, you know, what's ha- like where are they like what what happens and i think when you do dive into that world and you hear like you speak to people who've had near death experiences who say like i didn't want to come back it was amazing like that that is really <laughs> comforting because you're like okay reassuring right <laughs> because it does feel like bleak like we've we've actually had people reach out to us to say, could you do a podcast episode for those who don't believe in the afterlife and don't believe, and we're, we're like, no, I just don't think we can because I couldn't imagine ever discussing that, you know? Like it makes us feel strange just think like thinking about that because we want to hold on to the hope that death isn't the end. That brings us such enormous amounts of comfort. It can't be the end, you know, like we were talking about like the Kundalini energy stuff like everything is energy we know that so it's like how what happens to that energy when we die like I think all that happens is our physical body dies but everything else that we are has to go somewhere right like Mm -hmm. it just it doesn't just disappear and so I think all those experiences they have is their soul or their energy transforming into the next realm that's getting deep isn't it (laughs) oh I love it I love this kind of stuff I could talk about it all day long but you know that's scientific law like that's Mm. not up for debate so yeah absolutely my mediums described it as like an angelic day spa love it and and we can take all the very best bits. Laura actually said this on your podcast. She was like, yeah, you can have your mum's meatballs. You can listen to your favorite music. <laughs> Apparently, Ben's got his gorgeous long curly hair back. And um, he's really embracing his hippie side over there. Like, get the odd caftan and stuff like that that he's wearing at festivals and like long dangly necklaces with crystals and stuff. But he's like, he's gone yeah. in. He's full on. (laughs) I I love that. I love. I can I can imagine it now, and I love it. Um, Yeah, it sounds great. I feel like someone told us it might. It does sound great. It might have been David the medium or somebody that we spoke to. Can you remember him? They said like that. Sometimes they choose to be at a certain age. Was it like someone that said, "Im, your mum's like younger" or something? There, like they choose to. They can go back to a certain age in their life and be that that kind of age and like younger again I think so yeah yeah I think so yeah choose your own adventure sounds fantastic oh my god what age would you choose definitely not 15 <laughs> definitely not 15 no <laughs> no kind of like this age without the trauma <laughs> yeah like rewind a couple of years maybe yeah, yeah <laughs> apparently yeah. though you don't take any of the negative stuff with you so regardless as to the circumstances, you know, surrounding your death, Mm. 
Apparently it's like waking up from a bad dream. So you don't have any notion of the suffering once you've crossed because yeah, that was a big thing for me. I was like, oh my God, you know, having witnessed Ben suffering for months on end with his cancer, I was in agony thinking that he was still in that place, but he wasn't, he's not, you don't take it with you. And that's really comforting as well. You can literally choose whatever version of yourself you want to be. Yes. And I love how Laura as well describes like what this experience on earth he is. Like it's a big lesson, right? And we think that they're going to still be stuck in their suffering. But I think here on earth, we are going through all of these things and it does feel heavy and hard and we're suffering to a degree, you know, with our, our grief. And I think understanding that it's mind bending again, but like to think that this is a big one big lesson, like a big school. And then we kind of level up back to the universe. I'm also like, why the fuck did we sign up to this shit? <laughs> we must've been drunk when we chose these contracts. Cause I'm like, <laughs> but you know, we obviously thought we could take on some heavy things. And I love that we're all doing something with it that I feel like can pass down to other people who have been through heavy things as well and hopefully help them too. I know. I know. Speaking of which, we haven't actually talked about how you guys met and (laughs) everything you've gone on to do since. So it was an event. Was it the Motherless Daughters event in Sydney? Yeah. What I find really interesting is that there was resistance for, for you both around going and yet you felt this pull to be there. Yeah. So Motherless Daughters Australia have a private Facebook group and one of the members basically organized a meetup for 10 people in Sydney. This is like June 2020. And him and I just both found that we were like, we need some grief support. We're just, it's lonely. It's isolating. Like not a lot of our peers have been through a big loss. Um, People just don't know what to say. It's just awkward. It's, you know, they avoid the topic or they just kind of shuffle their way through it. It just is, it's really isolating. So we looked for grief support. We really struggled to find relatable grief support that spoke really honestly and candidly about actually what the fuck is going on and all of the things that we've discussed, you know, it's not just sadness. There's so much more. So where, you know, it's, it can be really confusing. So anyway, we went to this meetup. We both signed up, nearly didn't go. Like I was like, mm, I don't know if this is my vibe, like, oh, support group. Am I really, am I going there? And I think in you felt the same, didn't you? Absolutely. We, we both felt supported by our friends and family, but we just, we craved that connection with someone who truly understood what we were going through. Um, and I also think, you know, back into the spiritual things a bit, like we felt a, a pull to go, you know, I think not going wasn't an option because we were meant to, we were meant to meet each other. And I, I do strongly believe that our mums had a hand in that and, mm-hmm. um, going back to kind of what my mom's like as a person, if I could describe like her perfect daughter, it would be Sally. Like they had all the same hobbies, literally like the same TV show, read the same books, both loved op shopping. Like it's actually wild that she's like. But I don't think that I would be her ideal daughter because you were her okay. ideal daughter. I think I am like your mum and that's why she sent you to me, me to you. If she was to create like the perfect person to like hold my hands through this experience, it'd be Sal. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. But she always used to try to like swap books with me. I was like, mom, I'm not interested. But I feel like <laughs> she would have loved you and op shopping together. There are just so many little synchronicities. Like we were both like not sure about going and we felt the pull to go. Something was like, you've got to go to this meetup. And then it was at the Rose Hotel. My mum's name is Rose. It's just like loads of little things like about our stories and our personal journeys. Like we both left school at 15, just completely like fucked up, basically. We're real rebels, which you just, I mean... Mm, well, now you're published authors, so give a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, through that. Um, Who needs Pythagoras' theorem? Do you know what I mean? Oh, my like- God. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> but little things that, like, just happened at really similar times in our lives and, like, we just understood each other on, like, a different level. And, like, Laura Lynn Jackson talks about, because we were like, how did our mums bring us together? We believe that they brought us together. And I know Lottie, this you can probably relate to this when you think of you and Elodie, right? And your connection and your similarities. But Laurel and Jackson was like, well, they are part, your mums are part of the same soul group. And you and Im are part of the same soul group. So that's how like you've come together. Cause I was like, how could our mums bring us bring us together to meet at this meetup? in Sydney, random, if they lived on the other side of the world. Like Im's mum lived in Sydney. My mum lived in the UK. Like how could that be? And and that was Laura's explanation of kind of, it just did feel like a force, didn't it, Im, that was bringing us together. And then we became friends and probably really similar to you and Elodie as well, Lottie. Like we just bonded over like a really similar experience. There were loads of little, like just little like, um, similarities and things that just we felt really connected to each other on. And then from there, we decided to start start Good Morning. Did the soul group thing, when you listened to the Laura interview, did that connect to you and like you and Elle and Chumpy and Ben? Did you feel like that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The, the mediums that Elodie and I have spoken to have all confirmed that Chump and Ben are together on the other side. Bearing in mind, they have no reference. They don't know me or Elodie from the next person. So we've had that confirmed to us. And then, so Elle and I, there was actually only one degree of separation between us before we got connected. So my partner, Ben, was a music agent and Elodie's best friend, Chloe, her partner is a DJ. And Ben knew her partner's manager. They were friends. And I'd met this guy, Brett. I think maybe a year before Ben's terminal diagnosis and death. And so I reached out to Brett after Ben died. I'd actually seen the news about Chumpy a few months before. And I thought, oh my God, this is like, honestly, looking into the future. I just can't. I have to shut myself off from this. But then when it happened, I just, like you guys, felt that pull. I was like, I need to connect with this girl. So yeah, I definitely believe in all of that. And I think that really drills home the importance of finding people that get it. Because as much as your family and friends can be there for you, it's having that shared experience, that deeper level of understanding that you find real comfort and solidarity and strength in. And I guess that's been the mission with Good Morning, right? Cultivating that community for others to lean upon. I get chills when you share that story. 
about, you know, Ben and Chompy and you and L. I just love it. And yeah, there's just so many similarities with mine and Sal's experience and our story and our moms being together and Chompy and Ben being together. And it's just really beautiful. Like it's so beautiful. And I love that we've all connected as well in this space because there is, there's something about community and, you know, all of us pulling each other through this really hard, you know, experience that we're all in. And, um, it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. And I feel grateful. Like I feel so grateful to have connected with you, Laurie and, like just to be able to have these conversations and yeah, it's something not that I think that, you know, the silver linings necessarily, but I do think there are gifts in these horrendous things that happen to us. And I think these connections are an absolutely a huge gift that, you know, has come from such pain and darkness. Totally. Grief friends are the best. There's just like, a deeper level of understanding that no one else, unless they've walked a similar path, will be able to offer. Yes. The power of social media as well, my God, to have connected us all. Totally. Because that's how I came across you guys. Yes. Yeah. And here we are. You're in Portugal. We're in Sydney. Like it's such a, it's just, it's, it's so powerful. And there's such a good grief community on Instagram and social and death mates are great mates. How weird is it to think that we haven't like met in person though? Because I feel like we have, it's so weird. It is. Like to think that we actually haven't. Yeah. Are you coming to Oz? Are you coming to Oz soon? I really need to, I really need to get over there. Yeah. I've, um, I've had a few work projects hanging in the balance and I'm just trying to figure out timelines and stuff, but I'd love to get over there probably at some point next year and then we can all have a big group hug. Oh my God, yes. That would be so good. Grief-ish. Bereavement bender. The bereavement, the bereavement bender. Oh my God, I love it. I love it so much. Um, ladies, I want you to tell us about your book. Um, our book is called Good Morning, Honest Conversations About Grief and Loss. It's published by Murdoch Books. And it's basically our podcast in book form, isn't it, Im? It's a really relatable, down-to-earth um, survival guide for getting through grief. It's it's like a support, a grief support group in a book. And Lottie, you've have you read it yet? Have you I haven't got my hands on a copy yet. No. I am. Um... I need to order one. But the thing is, the customs thing here. Oh, my God. Like, the cards, they never made it to me. Oh, they came back to me the other day. I've got your cards here on the fucking desk. Honestly, those fuckers at Border Control never gave them to me. And I'm so annoyed about it. Well, I'll collect them from you in person and it will be even more special. Oh, but, um, yeah, so our book basically is... A grief support group in book form and it combines like our lived experiences with expert advice tools and tips and also stories of other grievers so we've got a really big community of listeners um in our social community as well and we wanted to be able to reflect all different types of loss and all different experiences with grief um not just our own so we pull in lots of different relatable stories from from other grievers and it's just we've tried to write it haven't we in in a way that's really digestible because i know for us yeah (laughs) grief brain and when we were in the early stages of our loss we didn't really want to go through like a heavy book like we didn't have we just couldn't concentrate. We wanted something that was super, super easy to read. So, yeah, that's that's in a nutshell. That's what you can expect from our book. And, um, 
gets. Just hope it's really good. Oh, there's such a need. Oh, I can imagine if it's anything like your podcast, it's incredible. There's such a need for it because I find with a lot of the resources out there, they're just not that relatable, you know, as incredible as these people are. They're often written by people, or at least the ones that I've read that are a fair bit older. And I don't know, for me, I want to be able to see myself reflected in another's experience. So the fact that you're young, I don't think there's been enough young people talking about this stuff and it fucking happens. It's not just older people that navigate bereavement. We find that just unbelievable. You know, death is as old as man, but it just feels like a new thing that we're talking about it. Like definitely here in Australia, we're one of the only few people that are even talking about grief and death, which is absolutely wild. It's the most normal thing in the world. It's a universal experience. There's no escaping it, you know, so we probably ought to get better acquainted with it before we're confronted by it, right? Let's start having these conversations before even. But yeah, it's just, it's so uncomfortable. People don't want to confront their mortality. Well, I think that's what spurred us on to start Good Morning in the first place. Because Im and I were both like looking for resources and support. And we were like, it's just all feels really outdated. No one's talking about grief in a really candid way. Um, and that's kind of where, yeah, Good Morning and, and our platform grew from like a desire to have just bloody honest conversations about this thing that we all go through you know but still is like taboo and it just is wild that it is but when you know that it's not the end it's not as scary right when we know that there's more after this exactly this isn't it <laughs> it's not as scary yeah i i see it as like when i get to the finishing line it's just going to be a massive reunion with the loved ones i've lost that went before me and <laughs> yes that's such a beautiful notion yes ladies where can my listeners find you we are very active over on instagram so you can come and say hi and drop into our dms there we are at good morning podcast and morning is spelt with a u you can head over to our website as well it's www.goodmorning dot com dot au i've got that right and yeah our podcast is on all the major platforms like apple spotify wherever you listen to podcasts and you can find our book online on amazon on book depository um, booktopia if you're in australia and new zealand and yeah just google good morning honest conversations about grief and loss book and yeah it should pop up in your region where you can get a copy from I can't wait to get my hands on it, girls. It's long overdue and I just know it's amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much for all that you do. I've personally found so much comfort and validation in your episodes and everything that you share on Instagram as well. And it's also just so funny. Like you've got such a funny, lighthearted presence, despite talking about something so heavy a lot of the time. And it's important. It shows that you know, there's hope that life can still be good while navigating the hardship. Thank you. That really means a lot. And you need a bit of the light sometimes, don't you, when it's bloody shit, you know, you need some of the a little bit of humor. And um, we're yeah, really glad that that resonates. And thank you for doing the work that you, you do as well and, and for having us on this pod. <laughs>